And uh, please can the rest of us uh, turn in our Bibles uh, to Luke chapter 19. And verse 28. And this is found, if you wish to follow, in the Church Bible on page 1044. 1044. Luke chapter 19 and verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you. Where on entering, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away, who were sent, went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. For all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher! Rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So keep your Bible open uh, because we're going to uh, be think basing our thoughts upon uh, this passage this morning. But before we do so, let's pray and ask God for his help. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the way in which you speak 
to us through your word. And we pray now that as we consider your word, we ask that you will help me to be able to teach your word really well and faithfully, clearly, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we ask also that your word will have a deep impact upon our own lives and it will change us. We pray that you'll grant faith and obedience to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now today is what many people call Palm Sunday. Uh, The reason for that is that seven days before Jesus died on the cross and was raised again, uh, Jesus went up to Jerusalem and he rode on a donkey. And uh, some of the other versions of the story also talk about palm branches being laid on the road. And so that's how it, this, this, this Sunday has become to be called Palm Sunday. Now, the, the church calendar with its various holy days and holy week and saints days, that whole thing comes from the superstitions of the Roman Catholic religion. And as Bible-believing Christians, we're under no obligation whatsoever to observe certain feast days and holy days and, and whatnot. However, uh, given that in our society, um, once a year, our society particularly remembers the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. In fact, of course, for the Christian, every Sunday, every Lord's Day, is a remembrance, a weekly reminder of the resurrection from the dead. That's why we meet on Sundays, because we're remembering every week that Jesus was raised from the dead. But nevertheless, our society is thinking about about, uh, about Jesus at this time, his death, his resurrection. And many people will be thinking about him going up to Jerusalem today. And uh, uh, many people will be thinking about the events leading up to his death. And then, of course, his death, will be, many will be remembering on, on Good Friday. So I thought it would, be, it would do no harm for us today to uh, consider this passage from Luke's Gospel, which records how Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Uh, And I thought it would also be helpful because the passage does actually um, speak to us both about the divinity of Christ and also about the humility of Jesus. Now, I have to confess that um, my thoughts on this are not entirely original because Ed actually uh, read this passage at one of our morning Zoom prayer times just a few days ago. So that set my mind thinking along these lines as well. And, and, um, and some of what I say will be prompted by what Ed shared in our morning prayer time. 
So there are two things, I'd say, which come out from this passage. First is, the, is that the way in which Jesus conducted himself as God become man is clear from this passage. And the way in which he was worshipped by his disciples, as I hope to show you. And this, I hope, will, if, you're not, if you don't yet really understand that Jesus is God become man, that he's fully God as well as being fully man uh, and worthy of worship. If that's something which is not clear to you, I hope it will become clear to you as a result of what we look at today. And if you already believe this, I hope that as we consider this, it will strengthen and reinforce the faith that you have as Jesus, the eternal Son of God, who is worthy of worship. But then the other thing that we, which we see come out from this passage is that although Jesus is so great, he was also and is also very humble. He, and, and, and we can see from this something which we can love him for and worship for, that he combines this this great importance with also humility, but also we can learn from this humility ourselves and seek to follow in the example of the Lord Jesus Christ in the way that we live our lives. So I intend to consider this passage under two headings, the divinity of Christ and also the Humility of Christ. So, uh, first of all then, the divinity of Christ. And there are many things in this passage which point to Jesus being God. Let's just look, look through it and see these things. So if you've lost your place in the Bible or never found it, it's page 1044. We're looking at Luke chapter 18 and verse 28. So we see that um, <clears throat> Jesus, uh, in verse 30, he told his disciples to go into a village that was just ahead of them. And he said to them that when they got there, they would find a colt, a young donkey, tied there. One on which no person had ever ridden. And they were to untie that, tol that colt. And he told them that if anyone says to them, what are they doing? They were to say, the Lord has need of it. Now, there's a couple of things to notice from this. First of all, well, first of all, Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. They were going to go into a village. There would be a cult there that no one had ever ridden on. They would untie the cult. Somebody would say to them, what are you doing? And they would explain what, they, what was happening. 
How did Jesus know these things? Well, of course, because he is the Son of God in the flesh. And, and, and he knew exactly what was going to happen. And the thing about God is that not only does God know what's going to happen, he organizes events. It's not just that he knows the future, but he rules over events to see that what he has said is going to happen will happen. And Jesus here shows he has exactly the same power as his father. But then also notice how he tells his disciples that they are to untie this colt. Now that's a bit strange, isn't it? It doesn't belong to him. From if he's as a pure man, what's he doing helping himself to that cult? But when we understand that Jesus is God become man, the owner of everything, then that makes perfect sense. And then the explanation that they that they are to give to the owner when the owner says, What are you doing? They were to say to the owner. The Lord has need of it. Not Jesus has need of it. The Lord has need of it. Now that word that is translated Lord, Greek word kurios, is the same word that's used to translate when the, the translation of the Old Testament was, was translated into from Hebrew to Greek when they came across the word Yahweh, God's name, they used the Greek word kurios. And it's the same word as what we have uh, later on as they're praising uh, Jesus. Verse 38, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, in the name of God. So the Lord, the King, the Master, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, he needs this cult. Well, once that is explained, then there's no question. Well, of course, he must have it because he's the Lord. And then as, as the story progresses, we see that, that, um, that, that, the, 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 they brought the colt to Jesus and, well, there's no saddle for the colt. But the disciples take their coats off and they put their coats on the colt to, to act as, as a, a saddle for, for, for Jesus. And then as Jesus rode along, they didn't have a red carpet to lay out. They couldn't afford a red carpet for this very important person. So they took their coats off and they laid them on the ground to form a, a carpet for him to ride along for, for the king, the Lord Jesus, uh, to, to come. And then we read in, in uh, verse, uh, 20, verse 37, as he was drawing near, already on the way down toward the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God 
with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. There have been all these miracles that he's done. The blind have seen. The lame have walked. The deaf have started to hear. The mute have started to sing praises to God. The rose, those with withered arms have had their arms straightened. Those with all sorts of ailments and illnesses have been cured and healed. The, those who are in the grip of demons have had the demons expelled with a word. The storm has been stilled. The hungry have been fed. And the dead have been summoned from the grave. How did these works happen? Well, they happened because this is God become man. But then notice also what they say. It says they praised God with a loud voice. But notice what they say in verse 38. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, perhaps what we don't understand when we are reading an English translation, unless we know our Bibles reasonably well, is that when the word blessed be, when the phrase blessed be or blessed is, is used in the Bible, it's used most frequently into, as, a, as, a, as an act of worship to God. So let me just give you a few examples. I won't ask you to turn to them. I'll just give you a few examples. Some from the Old Testament. I could, these are just a handful. I could give you many more. Genesis 9, 26. Uh, it says, he, said, he also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be a servant. Genesis chapter 4, verse 26. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord. The God of my master Abraham, who's not forsaken his steadfast love and faithfulness towards my master. Exodus 18, verse 10. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians. Psalm 26, 28, verse 6. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the, vo my, the voice of my pleas for mercy. Psalm 41, verse 13. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And in, Ephe in the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Blessed be is a way of ascribing worship. So they were worshipping, the disciples were worshipping Jesus. And the Pharisees who were there witnessing all of this, they knew exactly what was going on because they said to Jesus, verse 39, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Verse 40. 
Because they thought that Jesus was just a man. How can you allow these people to be worshipping you? They knew that to worship a man is idolatry. That's why, as Christians, we get concerned when, when people you know, go crazy about some band that's playing on a stage and they, they scream and they shout and they holler and they, and they, they, they swoon because people are giving worship to human beings. And this is why some of us are very concerned about you know, Christian rock festivals and so on because the same sort of thing happens sometimes with the Christian, quotes, artists who are playing with these things. So they said, teacher, this is wrong. Effectively, they're saying, this is idolatry. Your people are worshipping you. Tell them to stop. And what did Jesus say? He said, verse 40, I tell you the truth, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. In other words, he's saying, it's quite right that they should be worshipping me. I am worthy of worship. There's absolutely nothing wrong that's happened here. In fact, it's so right that it should happen. It's so right that I should be worshipped that if these people didn't give me that worship, God would have to organise the stones to do it. So that that he is worshipped. So we see here that there are all these different indications that, that Jesus is God. And particularly this, this, um, this worship that's offered to him here. Now, this isn't, of course, the only place in the Bible where Jesus is, is recorded as having been worshipped. And him accepting that worship. Um, we all know, I'm sure many of us know, the story of Thomas. Sometimes called Doubting Thomas. Who, who was not with the apostles, the other apostles, when they saw the Lord, the first time they saw the Lord. And, and we read in, in, uh, in, in John 20 that, that when uh, that, that they told Thomas that they'd seen the Lord, and Thomas said, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place, in my, in my, place my finger into the mark of the nails, place my hand into his side, I'll never believe. Eight days later, John 20, verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not be disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord... And my God. He worshipped Jesus as God. And what did Jesus do? Did he say, whoa, 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 no, 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 don't say that. I'm just a man. No. He said, verse 29, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So in other words, he's saying, you're blessed. You're blessed because you believe. You believe what I am, that I am God. Let me give you one other example in the Bible of, of Jesus being worshipped. Uh, if you'd like to turn with me to this, Ch- Ch- Revelation chapter 4, uh, chapter 5, page 1220. 
So here in Revelation chapter 4, John sees a vision of God. He's, in, he's, he's transported up to heaven. And he sees a throne. And he sees seated around the throne there are these, these 24 thrones. And, and, and on these thrones are 24 elders, which I think people, people often interpret as being representatives of, of the people of God. And, uh, and then there are the four living creatures, which are great angels. And uh, we read that it says um, in verse 8 that they cried out day and night, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. So this is worship of God the Father going on constantly in heaven. But then John sees in the right hand of him who's seated on the throne, the right hand of God, a scroll with seven seals. And a voice says, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Now, various interpretations of that, but many people would say this is the, the plan of God to to save, to bring salvation to the world. And uh, it says, No one in, he- in earth, heaven or on earth, or under the earth, was able to open the scroll or look into it. He says, Then I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, and so that he can open the scroll. And it's seven seals. Who is that line of the tribe of Judah? The root, root of David. Of course, it's Jesus, isn't it? Now, then he says, Between the throne and the four living creatures, among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Who is that lamb? looking like he's been slain. Well, of course, it's Jesus, isn't it? And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, verse 8, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a golden harp with golden bowls full of incense, which are, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song, Worthy are you. Now, who's this addressed to? Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Who's that addressed to? It's, it's addressed to Jesus, isn't it? So we had verse 11, Worthy are you, O Lord our God. That's addressed to God the Father. Now, worship to Jesus. Worthy are you, to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain 
And you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they shall reign on earth. Jesus being worshipped in heaven. Then verse 11. Then I looked and heard, uh, and heard around the throne and the living creatures, the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might. Compare that with what was said about God the Father. Verse 11. Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory, power, and honor and power. Same sort of language. Worthy. Worship to the Lamb. Uh, and honor and power and blessing. Then verse 13. Then I heard every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne, that is the Father, and to the Lamb, be glory, blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So Jesus the Lamb of God is worshipped along with God the Father. If Jesus was just a created being, what this would mean is that idolatry was going on in heaven, <laughs> which is impossible. Because idolatry is, the, is to worship, Romans 1 says, idolatry is to worship and serve created things rather than the creator. This proves that Jesus cannot be created. He must be the eternal son of God who is himself divine. And so when the disciples worshipped him on that road, they were doing exactly the right thing. So we see from this that Jesus is not just a great teacher. He was a great teacher, and, and his words are, are timeless. But he was not only a great teacher. He was not just a prophet. He was a prophet. He brought the word of God. But he was not just a prophet. But he was and is the eternal son of God who is worthy of worship. You see, our, our Muslim friends will say, well, he was a great man. We honor Jesus as a prophet. But he's not the son of God. So-called liberal Christians say, well, we don't really accept that Jesus was divine. We don't really accept that he was born of the virgin. We don't really accept that he's the, he's the eternal son of God. We just think of him as a, as a great teacher and, and, and who did wonderful things, said wonderful things. Jehovah's Witnesses will say to you, well, we call him the Son of God. But they mean by that the first created being. They don't mean Son of God as the Bible talks of him as the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, who is divine and worthy of worship. Say to a Muslim, would you worship Jesus? You say you honor Jesus. Would you worship Jesus? Oh, no. Say to a Jehovah's Witness, would you worship Jesus? Oh no, we honour him. We don't worship him. 
Or say to a liberal Christian, same thing, so-called Christian. Do you worship Jesus? No, 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 we don't worship him. But what this passage tells us is that Jesus is rightly worshipped because he is God become man. So how can, what, what, what effect should this have upon us, that this truth that Jesus is God become man? Well, it means that we must believe him. We must believe him as God become man, dying on the cross in the place of sinners. But it also means that we must obey him. How can you say that you trust in Jesus if you don't do what he says? We have to do what he says, don't we? Because he is Lord. Some people say, you can have Jesus as your saviour, and then you sort out recognising him as your Lord later. You know, you can, you can get saved from your sins and then you, you get sanctified later. No. If you're going to believe in Jesus, you must obey him. The two go hand in hand. And we also should worship him. I remember talking to a Jehovah's Witness once, a former Jehovah's Witness, but he, he, he'd come away from Jehovah's Witnesses, but he couldn't quite ever accept that Jesus is God. And he couldn't see how we can sing work praise, hymns of worship to Jesus. But when we understand this, we realize, of course we can. We must sing worship and praise to Jesus, as well as praise to the Father. So, uh, there's then the, the, the divinity of Jesus. Let's come back now to the passage uh, in Luke. And uh, let's then now consider the, the other thing which we see from this passage, which is the humility of Jesus. So, it's Luke 19, if you've lost the place. Luke 19, verse 28. And I want just to come to this thing about him going on... A cult. He's going into Jerusalem as the king, but he's going on a cult. What's he saying by going on a cult? A young donkey. He's saying, I am king, I am I am God, because he's made that clear from the other things that we've seen. But he comes in humility. Uh, as Jack, as uh, fulfilling what's said in that, in that prophecy in Zechariah, which you read earlier, Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, that was written several hundred years before Jesus did this prophesying that he was going to come riding into Jerusalem in humility on a donkey. Now, probably many of you will know that, that back in the days that we're talking about, if an emperor or a big king came into a town or a city, he would come with a big procession. 
They used to call them, at, at these processions, they used to call them triumphs. So what would happen is you'd have the king on a great big platform or a sedan chair or, or a chariot, and he'd be coming with, with, covered with, with, with very fine um, armor and swords and so on, and he'd, have, he'd be flanked by all his soldiers and everything else. And then behind him would come all of the, all of the slaves that he's taken and, and prisoners of war that he's taken in, in his battle. And there's a great elaborate ceremony as this king comes in triumph into his capital city. So here's Jesus coming in triumph. But what's he doing? He's, he's on a donkey. And where's his army? He's just got, got a few disciples, that's all. Plus a few women and children as well, singing praises to him. He's coming in humility. Not putting on airs and graces. Not, not saying, don't you know who I am? I'm God, you know. Just comes in like an ordinary poor man riding on a donkey, wearing very ordinary clothes, Nothing very special from a human point of view. And this, of course, ties up with the whole of his life, doesn't it? He leaves the glory of heaven. Almighty God reduces himself down to a little cell in time inside his mother Mary's womb. And then time comes to be born, and he's born where? In some palace? No. In a cattle shed. And then, what's his first bed? His first bed is a feeding trough. And then he grows up, he, and, and the first offering that's made is two young pigeons, because the parents can't afford a proper, a proper offering of a lamb. And then he grows up in a, in a humble household, learning to do what his mum and dad tell him to do. He learns a trade as a carpenter. Then he starts public ministry and he's, from the word, virtue almost from the word go, people want to kill him. Does he call down fire from heaven to destroy his enemies? No, he just takes it. And then he gets arrested, they spit on him, they insult him, they slap his face, they put a crown of thorns upon him, they mock him, jeer him. He could have sat them just like that, but he doesn't. He just takes it. And then they led, out, led him out to the cross and they put the nails into his hands and his feet. And he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And the people say to him, Oh, if you're the Son of God, you could come down. Come down now. Prove yourself to be the Son of God. He doesn't answer their taunts. And he lays down his life on the cross. The humility of Jesus. So great, and yet so simple, so humble. What effect should this have on us? Well, we should worship him for the way in which he combined his greatness with his humility. 
but also we should come to him. Jesus is not a nasty so-and-so who's going to blast you because of all your mistakes. He's humble. He's gentle. He will receive you if you come to him. Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we should also imitate him. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. He did the lowliest task that a common slave would do. And he said, you do likewise. There's not, some Christians sort of have foot-washing ceremonies where they, you know, they, they, you know, they, they all have to wash each other. But clearly what Jesus meant was serve one another with humility, with love. Do the sorts of things that I would do for others. And Paul, in his great hymn, uh, praising Jesus uh, for the way in which he left the glory of heaven, he says, uh, Do nothing from selfish ambition or, or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. Follow that path of humility that Jesus lived. Well, I hope and pray that this will be helpful to us, both as we've considered then the, the divinity of Christ, as taught from this passage, and also his humility. May we... May we love him, may we worship him, may we trust him for salvation, and may we learn to imitate his love and humility. Well, we're going to sing a a hymn that um, picks up these themes now. Number 315, uh, sorry, no, 396, From Heaven You Came, Helpless Babe, 396.